So, y'all ready? Yeah. <laughs> Guys, well, once again, the Father has been faithful just to continue to um, give us revelation in the days past, just concerning what he has been doing, what he is doing now, and what he will be faithful to do in the days, weeks, months, years decades and even generations to come. I think you guys are going to love what, uh, what we have to share today. Um, let's go ahead and start by turning to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. Say there when you're there. Before I read what, where we found ourselves praying uh, over this past week was we were like, Lord, we see... You know, some of the difficulties of our circumstances, we've had, a, we've had a fire and it's displaced us for a short time. We see the good that you've been doing through it. We see all of the blessings and everything that you've provided to us every step of the way and we have never gone without. But I begin to be concerned that we were just missing something during this time. Not, not necessarily that we were missing like an ingredient or that we weren't adding up, but rather that we were overlooking something during this season where God is, has us in a, a neat set of circumstances, right? And so it's during times like this and in the, time, in the times in between moments like this where both, man, like you can have those Nehemiah-type moments, right, where you're rebuilding, there's a camaraderie among the people of God, you're staying up late working on a church property and rebuilding a house and building a new house and working your jobs and doing everything else, right? And what about every day? What about every week in between those types of moments? I, I began to pray this last week. I was like, Lord, how, how do we have the vision as a whole church Right? How does the entirety of the people who you have placed right here in this local family walk in the fullness of the vision that you've given? And I was like, God, it, it, I, I began to see that unless there was stark direction right, from a pastor, unless there was a strong word, a bold word, or unless there was a laundry list of items to do that we were not as a church running up to the plate saying, God, I see what you're doing and my hands are already at work. Whereas we say, oh, pastor, you, you said something? Or, oh, for the kids, mom and dad, you told me to do something? Okay, then I'll do it. But what about as the people of God, those moments in between, those, those peaks, right, of where faithfulness is required because a church building caught on fire? Or faithfulness is required because there's no way we'll get a foundation built on a house unless we all show up and do it together all night, right? What about the moments in between? It requires that the entirety of this church right here, every one of you in this room, not just pastors, not just our overseers, our, our beloved brothers and fathers at, uh, and other churches in the one association that are constantly praying and interceding for you. But each one of you right here in this room, God has placed you here in this room that you would participate in the local work that he's doing and will reach nations in the process. Amen. In first Corinthians, and I'm sorry, did I say Corinthians earlier? I say Chronicles. That's good. Okay, because we're in first Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter 28 verses 8 through 10 says, So now I charge you in the sight of all Israel and of the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God, be careful to follow all the commands. Say all. all. Of the Lord your God, that you may possess the good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Guys, did you hear that? Be strong and do the work was the last thing that was said in all of that. He said, show up with a willing mind. Show up and work with wholehearted devotion. The strength and the muscle that's going to take to get the work done was the obvious thing that we just had to say at the end. 
It's like, of course you gotta be strong to do this work. There's no way you can accomplish it if you're not strong. That's just a qualifier, period. But he said, show up with a willing mind. Show up with a wholehearted devotion, Solomon, before your father and say, I am here to pour out everything that I have so that, God, what you are doing in this place where we are building a meeting place for your people and for your presence to come together. Because that's what we're doing right here at Remnant Church. We are building a meeting place between the presence of God and God's people, whether they know they're God's people yet or not. And so whenever we, we see Solomon coming into a place where he is being required to walk in the basic obedience today, that's the season that every one of us have been in since we've shown up. God, God's asking us to be faithful with the little things. He's like, hey, just show up to the meetings. Just learn what your pastors have to teach you. Just go and spend quality time with Mike and Jen so that you might get that orphan spirit taken care of. Just go and spend time with your brothers and sisters and learn how to live in a family. Just be faithful with these little things and come wholeheartedly so that whenever you're king and you're sitting on a throne, whenever you have authority, whenever you are participating in the vision, there's no lack of wholehearted devotion in it. Church, we want you to know this morning that God is making us to be this people who don't just survive. Pastor Mike has asked us this since the day we met him. He said, are you surviving or are you thriving? And we say thriving, and sometimes he asks us twice because we don't say it emphatically enough. But do we really mean it? And do you, did you really mean it that every day up until this very moment of worship, of praise, of, of proclaiming God's glory, we're, were you thriving every day up until that point? Yeah. And so whenever, but we are being made this people. This only comes in one way, though, wholehearted devotion to the Father. And that's why it's one of the first things that was instructed to, to Solomon in this situation. What's beautiful is within the darkness of this world, God has made us out to be a light and exactly what this world needs. We are not a people who, like a cockroach, will go around in fear of being crushed and go and hide under a rock, but rather he is placing us as a light on a hill, like a lamp on a hill, fully exposed before all of the nations that they might look up in a time of darkness and see a light and say, I don't have that. There is a light over there, and it might take some exposing, but I can hear the shouts of joy and the shouts of praise where that light is, and I'm in weeping and gnashing of teeth over here, and I can't take it any longer. I have to go over there. But guys, being exposed in the light, we take it as, like, hear me. We talk about the light and how it's exposing. We talk about it in such like a medical sense. It's like a lamp that comes and shines on everything and shows all the flaws that all the doctor needs to come in and fix. What if God is actually putting a spotlight on his people because they're actually reflecting his glory and not presenting their own glory? What if the light of heaven is shining down so that the rest of the nations might see a people that God loves and who is proud of and that they, that they might have an invitation to go and join with them? I think we're going to see this for the whole rest of the message this morning. Guys, go ahead and start turning with me to the book of Genesis. Go to chapter 42. We're going to see this entire concept displayed in little excerpts because otherwise I would keep you here for four hours at least today. I mean, it took seven just to decide which exact verses we were going <laughs> to preach on. <laughs> Our wives were like, no date night tonight? We're like, no, we're just getting started on the message right now. Um, chapter 42, are you there with me? <laughs> Verses 1 through 5. Read them with me. It says, now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt. Grain in Egypt. This is going to reconstruct your very, very negative mindset of Egypt today as it did mine. It, this whole religiosity getting broken off thing, it's, it's going to happen more today, I promise. Now, Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, and Jacob said to his sons, why are you staring at one another? You guys ever have a moment of recognition of lack, and then you just find yourself staring at each other? Husbands and wives, 
You're like, I don't even have any more words to say. I'm done fighting. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. There ain't enough money in the bank account. There's not enough energy in my tank. There's not enough time in the day. And we're just staring at each other in lack. He said, behold, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy. Say buy. Buy Buy some for us from that place so that we may live and not die. Then ten brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt. Only ten. How many are there total, including Joseph? There are twelve brothers. Ten go. So the sons of Israel came to buy grain among those who were coming, because many, many people were going to the place where they heard that there was grain left. For the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Listen to that. The the famine was in the land of Canaan also. The famine was not was not exclusively in Canaan. The famine had covered the entire land, all of the land surrounding Canaan, and just the famine was in Canaan also. What if the land that was promised, what if the promises that was given even to the generations before you, or if it started in your generation, how much more? What if all of those promises began to look like a famine? What if while you're standing in the land that God told your grandfather would be yours and your generations forever, but there's a famine in it, and if you stand there, you're going to die? Do you think that that would, pro- that would challenge your theology a little bit? Like, Lord, no, we're a people who are strong, and we are going to stand here, and we're going to fight, and we're going to never, ever move from this promise right here, God, because you said this is our land. But Jacob, like a good father says, sons, go and get some grain because if we're going to stay here and we're going to stay like this, we're going to die. We need provision from someone else so that we might live and not die. Famine was not exclusive in Canaan, but rather extended to Canaan from Egypt. The region they were sent to was not in any less famine, church. The land that the sons of Israel went to go get grain from had just as much, if not more, famine than the land that they were presently standing in. (laughs) But what was going on? It was already being cultivated under the governance of Joseph, and that was the entire difference of it. Egypt was in famine, Canaan's in famine, everybody's starving. No matter whether you're in the church or whether you're in the world, there seem to be people starving everywhere. But for some reason, under the governance and cultivation of a man named Joseph, of a a man who's named God will add, there's plenty. (laughs) Church, we see here that hunger becomes a catalyst that leads God's people to the right table. What if you spend the rest of your days starving yourself because, oh man, we're standing in a gym. I'm sorry, Matt and April. And I know they would disagree with this method, so I can say this. What if you spend the rest of your days starving yourself so that you might have a certain presentation of your physique that you're looking to have? Is that right or wrong to do that, Matt? Not good. Hunger, if you just let that hunger speak to you, then it will take you to a place. If you, are hung, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, then no matter where, where the famine is that you're standing in, if you go to where he is feeding you at, he will be faithful to take care of you there. That hunger in you is not a bad thing. That desire for more of his word and more of his presence is what puts you in the right position at the right time because he's actually setting up a table for you and I to come and sit with him at. Not all famine and not all hunger is from the devil, but in many cases, it is the very thing that drives you to the right destination. We see this to be true and continues here in the book of Genesis. Look at chapter 42 with me, now 23 through 28. Genesis 42, 23 through 28. It says, they did not know, however, that Joseph understood. At this point, the ten sons of Israel, so not including Benjamin, and obviously not including Joseph because he's there, but they don't know he's there. The ten sons of Israel are standing before Joseph, and they're speaking their native language, and they don't understand that Joseph is picking up on every bit of what they're saying. 
says, they did not know, however, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. He turned away from them and wept. <laughs> but when he returned to them and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to restore every man's money back in his sack. And to give them provisions for the journey. And thus it was done for them. So they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed from there. As one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money. And behold, it was in the mouth of that sack. Listen to verse 28. Then he said to his brothers, my money has been returned, and behold, it is even in my bag. And their hearts sank, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? <laughs> Guys, <laughs> if, you, if you, okay, put on these lenses for a second and just remember the history of how God has been redeeming you over these last couple years. I know every one of your lives, and just do a little rewind, like, just like we did in the Remember series, and think about the way that God has done these things for you. In Egypt, Joseph's brothers buy grain in response to hunger and went away realizing that what was sacrificed was returned to them. You couldn't afford the grain that he had. You couldn't afford the grain that he had. And what you didn't know is that though he was disguised the whole time, he was putting your money back in your bag because he never wanted it in the first place. He wanted you there. He didn't want your money for the grain, but you didn't see it the whole time. How many of us tried to buy our way into this family right here in this room and that money got put back in your bag and you said, what has God done to us? The church blessed me when I was supposed to come and bless the church. I was supposed to give to the church. I was supposed to give to the church. I was supposed to be the provider for the church. But the church provided something for me, and I can't afford it. <laughs> and we said, God, what have you done to us? It breaks our entire transactional theology because now we are not the ones of value. The one who gave us that grain, Joseph, Yeshua himself becomes the only one of value. And then we get to walk away with an abundance, enough for the road and enough to take back to our family and the very money that we came to buy it with. Every time you come to him in a posture of transaction, he is faithful to fill your bags and return to you the price that you paid because you couldn't buy it anyways. You couldn't afford his food if a price even could be put on it. Look at chapter 43, verses 1 through 2 with me. I have a lot to cover today, and I'm sorry if I brushed through this too fast, but, man, this is beautiful. Chapter 43, verses 1 through 2. Now the famine was severe in the land. Why does it change from just a couple chapters earlier? I mean, we're talking a matter of probably weeks or months because of travel time for these guys, right? Just a matter of weeks or months. How would a famine in a rural Middle Eastern region have gotten worse in just a matter of weeks or months? I believe that whenever they went and they received the provisions and received the lavishing of Joseph in that place of Egypt, that they came back and their perspective had been changed completely. The famine appeared worse than it did before because now they knew what it was to have grain in their sacks again. They knew what it was like to have food to be fed again. So now the famine looks worse. How many of us, whenever we're being fed at, these, at our church services and, and the presence of God is so powerfully there, and then we go back home and it's dead again. And the famine is getting worse. Now it's not getting worse. It's the same thing it's always been. You're just feeling it because the presence of God was so great in that last place that you were at. You got so well fed that now the starvation at home hurts more. What if our entire church, what if every family, every couple, every child in this room was participating in the vision and was hungry for the same things as everyone else? What if not just a couple places were the meeting places with God, but... You, every one of your homes. What if you went home and you didn't have famine there at all anymore? Or 
What if you moved to Egypt? <laughs> In Genesis 43, 1 through 2, it shows that this is often times of the revealing of the true nature of our provider. We love him and want to return back because he's a solution to our problem. <laughs> and the rest of that, it says, So it came about when they had finished eating their grain, which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, go back and buy a little food. How many of us, whenever we get that dose on a Sunday morning, when we get that dose on a Tuesday or Thursday, when we get that dose whenever we go out on double dates and enjoy each other's fellowship and God's presence is there with us, that you're like, man, I wish I could just get a little more. I'm okay with staying in the famine the rest of my life as long as I just get a little bit more just enough to make it. And you spend the rest of your life living in a state of famine because you've grown comfortable with famine as long as somebody else gets you a little grain that you feel like you can buy. <laughs> he, didn't, he did not set us in this place that we would live in lack and famine the rest of our lives. That is not who he is. It's not who his Holy Spirit is. And if he ever does allow those circumstances to befall us, it's because he is moving us to another place where we will be fed. We love him and we re return back to him because he's a solution to our problem and food in a time of famine. Do you despise others, church, when they come needy? Not the godly, righteous person you think that they should be right up front. Maybe they say a couple extra cuss words more than what you're used to. Maybe, maybe it's a little alcohol that, the, that they like to drink, and you think that they cross your threshold or they cross their threshold. Or maybe it's that they, they don't raise their hands enough or they don't jump up and down and dance enough. Or maybe they don't enjoy the word enough and they like worship more than the sermon or the sermon more than worship. Do you ever find yourself frustrated with the ones who came needy? Because that's exactly how God got the ten sons of Israel all the way to Egypt standing in front of Joseph all over again. Do you remember when you showed up? When I showed up? And showed up again and again just because it was filling our spiritual bellies? Consider right now if you're in that position. Are you still in that state of coming just so your spiritual belly can get full? You can take a little bit back home to barely make it and then come back again next week. Maybe it's because you've not moved with where God's trying to move you yet. Today, we're talking about giving sight in a land called Goshen. Because there's a land here that Joseph is preparing for them and they don't even know it yet. Look at, look at our next passage here at chapter, see, let's go to chapter 45, verses 10 through 11. Say Goshen when you get there. Chapter 45, verses 10 through 11 says, you shall live in the land of Goshen and you shall be what? What does your Bible say? Near me. <laughs> I don't know if I, just like I couldn't make it yesterday through this passage, Devin, I don't know if I'm going to make it now. You shall be in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will also provide for you, for there are still five years of famine to come, and you and your household and all that you have would otherwise be impoverished. If you are not where the, the governance of Joseph is, if you are not where the one who went before you and has provided a place for you, if you are not where he is at, you will otherwise be impoverished. You came for grain, and he has a place called Goshen. <laughs> a place called, guess what? Drawing near. It's a whole land named Drawing Near. It's not the land called abundance. It's not the land called riches and glory. It's not the land. It's called the land of Drawing Near. 
and it's the only green spot that you really see when you look at a map of Egypt, and it's right at the mouth of the river in such a way that God said, there's an entire civilization, and it's the, conquer, the conquering civilization of the entire planet at this time. And for some reason, they are perfectly complacent living in the arid regions. But there's a land called Drawing Near that has already been set aside for you that is green and plentiful. And your Joseph, who was born as a Hebrew, is now in the governance of Egyptians and has prepared a place for you to go. <laughs> Golly, man. He said, and are you still with me at 45? Yeah. Chapter 45, look at verse 11. He says, there I will also provide for you, and there you will stay for five, and there you will stay for there are still five years of famine. It's not any more prosperous in the region where you've been moved to. How many of you moved here for a job and you found out that you can, or school or anything, you found out you can suffer just as much here as you were suffering where you came from. It has the exact same suffering and misery potential as the place you came from, but God has a governance and a people there waiting for you that will change everything for you. There I will also provide for you during these five years of famine. Look at verse 16 now in the same chapter. Chapter 45, verse 16. He says, Now when the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had come. This is Pharaoh now. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go to, back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best, the best, the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are ordered, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Do not concern, do not concern yourselves with your goods for the best of all of the land of Egypt is yours. Just leave it up there, Chuck. You didn't even need it. To, you didn't need the business to come with you. He had whole other things waiting for you in the land where you were going. And we're so concerned about manifesting the full promise of Canaan that we forget that in a land of, called Goshen, the land called Drawing Near, surrounded by the world, surrounded by those who will despise you, you have favor in a land and you are given the best of the land until the full manifestation of the promise is displayed before all of us. We're so, we try so hard to manifest Canaan in our lives right now that while we're still among the Egyptians, while we're still in the land of Egypt, we, we're just waiting till heaven. And Pastor Mike says this to you all the time, but we're still not getting it. There is a prosperity in your heart. There is a, there, it's, not in the, it's not the difference of the land. There's a prosperity with a positioning of your heart in this land that you get to do differently than the last one. It says in chapter 45, verse 20 says, don't, don't even concern yourselves with your goods. It's not even worth holding on to them. Just leave them where they're at. Leave all your stuff in your arid, famine-stricken place behind you and come and partake in the abundance of this place. How many of you need to hear that word this morning? How many people who are listening to this message in the next couple days on YouTube and Spotify, some of our own family members, some of you who check in and are watching from the very, very far distance and the darkness you're standing in, but you see a light and, sh and hear shouts of joy on a hill, but you're too scared to approach it, and you're staying in your arid land famine called Canaan because, well, this is just where we've always been. This is just where our family's always been. This is what we've always done. Church, one of the perspectives that we pastors just want everyone in this room to so badly understand is that we have been given the best of the land. The perspectives that, have, that, that just started to stir my heart a little bit over these last couple weeks is like I noticed. I'm like, 
man, I know we're like, we've been in the trenches and we've been doing all this work and rebuilding houses and building houses and changing jobs and businesses and doing church services and all this stuff. But I feel like there was an affection for the land that has just decreased in these last weeks because we've just been temporarily displaced for just a moment. This is such a short time that we're displaced. In comparison to the decades that we have here of our lives, of whatever years the Lord has given us, and the generations who will come after us, this is such a short time. And in such a short time, we've lost affection for the land and for the promises that he's given us right here, right now. Because we're, we're just sojourners. We're just the poor, pitiable people of God. We're just the people that are just trying to get by, and we've, this is just our lot in life, and we're just always supposed to barely get by and just struggle the rest of our lives. You've been given the best of the land, and you will eat the fat of the land, says Pharaoh. Not even Joseph. Pharaoh said it. Here, come and have it all. Jeez. I don't know about you guys, but my crankiness and my bad attitude that I carry around is getting ripped out of my chest right now. And I want you to be the same way because it's exciting what God's doing here. He is giving us a land that's not even our own, that hardly any of us came from, save a few in this room who have been here for years before. And he's redeeming the whole land because there was a famine in the places where we came from. And there are even souls sitting right here in this room right now who have been here waiting with eager expectation for the revealing of the sons of God to finally show up. And we have just a few, but they are worth everything, worth everything. <laughs> Y'all got me fired up right now. Okay, chapter 46. Where are you? <laughs> Where are you at, Lorraine? <laughs> we got to try to make it through chapter 46 here. <sighs> so Israel, in verse 1, set out with all that he had. <laughs> he didn't even believe that it was going to be that good. In Goshen he still brought everything he had anyways and he came to Beersheba hasn't made it all the way to Goshen yet and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said Jacob Jacob and he said here I am he said I am God the God of your father do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for I will make you a great nation there. Not a great nation in Canaan. I will make you a great nation in Egypt. I will go down there with you to Egypt, says God, and I will surely bring you up again, and even Joseph will close your eyes. Guys, we're, I know we're skipping past whole sections of this story, and I want to read every verse from chapter 42 to the end of 48 with you, but we can't. But right now, he knows that his beloved son, who he's been missing for years, and who he thought was gone and would never show up again, was gone forever. And now he's getting to go back, and all of a sudden, it's not about buying grain anymore. The beloved son who had been being missed this whole time was going to get to close his eyes and see him to the end of his life. Come on, man. How many parents of even the people in this room right now are going to get to experience in the latter years of their life the glory of seeing their children full of life, full of abundance, close their eyes? That's awesome. He said, I am the God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down there with you to Egypt, and I will surely bring you up. Chapter 46, verse 28. Look with me there. Chapter 46, verse 28. says, Now he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen and they came into the land of Goshen <laughs> how many times are we going to see the firstborns the children that were there the whole time go out first 
and find the way to Goshen and deliver the weary parents, deliver the weary fathers, deliver the weary relatives and old friends right to the land of Goshen that is different than anything they ever imagined, but it's just where God's taking them. Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept for a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and that you are still alive. Israel thinks that that's it. He's like, my my miserable life is over. Let this just be it. Joseph said to his brothers and his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. My brother and my father's household were in the land of Canaan, in the land of Canaan have come to me, and the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds with them and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you, Israel, people of God, people who are being broken out of a weary state of religiosity, when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say to him, your servants have been keepers of livestock from youth until now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. The Redeemer says to his brothers and to his father, don't make yourself out to be more important to society than you really are. Be perfectly fine with who God made you to be. Show up, receive all of that I have prepared for you, and don't try to make yourself important to Pharaoh, because then you won't get the blessings of Joseph. Listen, you can live the rest of your life trying to make yourself important to Pharaoh, but the blessings have already been given to you through Joseph. A land called Drawing Near is already waiting for you, and it's the only green space on the map there. But it's reserved for the people that the Egyptians that the world despises. <laughs> we always thought it was the other way around. We were like, well, the world gets to live in all the luxury. The world gets to live in all the benefits. And we'll just go and live in the misery of our sacrificial Christian lives. And we'll just be miserable all the way until the end. Because that's the lot that God's given us. Not even close, man. And uh, Y'all know me. I am no prosperity preacher. And as they, as they concern prosperity tr- preachers today, and my heart's being shooken up <laughs> at the same time. There is an abundance that the blessing of Joseph has for you and me, that the blessing of Yeshua has for you and me, where we don't have to strive to be important to Pharaoh anymore as long as we are in the family of Joseph, as long as we are in the family of Jesus, and we are called brothers, though he's the one in authority over us, then we receive all of the fat of the land of Egypt. That's not even ours. <laughs> that's, that's sick. Yo, I fought crankiness for years just thinking that my lot in life was just to scrape the bottom and just serve God until I die. And this is so much cooler. Like, like whether or not the grain is in my sack or not, the one who has authority in the land I'm in has everything that I need, and I just have to wait and ask him for it. Sheesh. We pastors are being deeply impacted in having our theological understanding of Egypt redefined and with much more color added. Egyptians, church, Egyptians are the ones who become slaves. Look at this. In in chapter 46, I'm sorry, 47. It says, then Joseph went to Pharaoh and said, my father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they have have come out of the land of Canaan and behold, they are here in the land of Goshen. He took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. They listened to Joseph. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land. For there is no pasture for your your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, he didn't even answer the ones who were asking him for authority. He turned to the one who authority has already been given to. 
Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your fathers and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Joseph, settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know of any capable, or some of your translations might say skilled, of any capable or skilled men among them, then put them in charge of my livestock too. That Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many years have you lived? Oh, man. So Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his father and brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had ordered. Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all their households with food, even according to their little ones. Jacob said, how, he said, I've lived, sojourned 130 years, and they've been short and miserable in comparison to that of my father's. In the track of generational promise, in the track of a manifestation of generational blessings and promises, can you find yourself not feeling like you can add up to what your fathers in the faith or the fathers in your family have done before you? And you're like, it's, my years have been short and miserable. Like, dude, you're at 130. Like, it's not short. <laughs> like, but they were miserable. He said, we didn't read it, but there were two times before this passage here where he said, to make sure that my son Benjamin makes it back to me, otherwise my gray head will go down to Sheol in misery or in shame. Jacob was just waiting for the, his whole life to fall apart, and there was one who went before him who had prepared a place for him the whole time. The attitude that Jacob displayed here in this moment was not the attitude of God's people. When he had an opportunity to show Pharaoh who the people of God are, he said, my life is short and miserable and I'm the patriarch of this whole darn thing. Miserable. This all sucks. Any of y'all have an attitude like that left in you? Because it is amazing what God's doing in your life. He placed you right here in this room, in this family. Look around. I mean, he's given us a land, the best of the land, right in the middle of a city that's developing. And we'll have tens of thousands of homes built around a place where we are building a meeting place for God and his people. Whenever we were reading through chapter 46 and 47, we noticed that we should not be afraid to leave what we think is the manifestation of our promise. It looks like a detour, but just as it was for Joseph, it is for your good. You think Joseph liked getting beat up by his brothers, thrown in a cistern, and then sold in slavery, and then land, ending up in a land where then he's accused of rape and accused of everything else? No, but he said, what you did to me was wicked, but God meant it for good, and he has prepared a place for you. It looks like a detour right now, church. But it's actually God putting you in a place called drawing near, though it's not Canaan. Why is it called drawing near, but it's not Canaan? Though it looks ge geographically contrary to the promise, he is going with you there and will later also bring you out. And it might not be you. When he says you, it might not be you. It might be 425 years later. Egyptians, later on, church, in, the, in this passage here, are the ones who trade everything to Joseph to get what they want. How many of you, because of, like, children's church and stuff growing up, always, or even just recently, I don't know, have you picture Israel in Egypt and you see a bunch of Israeli slaves building pyramids in your head? I, I don't know. It's just what they gave us. Well, Contrary to all of that, it's the Egyptians who came to Joseph and said, 
Why should we perish before your eyes? Here, take our money, take all of our money, and just give us bread to live so that we would not perish before you. Why should we perish under your leadership? So he takes all of their money. They come back a second time, and they'll say, take all of our livestock, take all of our means of making money, and we'll trade it just for enough seed and enough bread to get by. And then they come back again, and they say, okay, we'll even give you our lives for just a little more seed and a little more bread to get by. We are watching the enslavement of the people of Egypt who look to Pharaoh and say, we will serve Pharaoh all of our lives and give him a fifth. How much do you pay in taxes? About 20%. We'll live in slavery to him the rest of our lives if we can just get enough and give him 20% back. God asks for half as much and will promise you a thousand times more. And for some reason, we choose to serve Pharaoh. Oh, this stuff <laughs> messing me up, man. <laughs> In chapter 47, we see that the land there has been called yours by association with the one who has the authority to grant it. Despite it all, Jacob considers his life to be short and miserable. He doesn't add up to the standards of his forefathers, and what he has been blessed with has been considered miserable and wearisome. When God saves a people out of a state of desolation and a place where the promise will later be fully manifested, he saves weary fathers in the process. Even better, he reunites weary fathers with their sons, though they thought that they thought that they had lost the whole time. They're like, I'll, I'll never get him back because I'm supposed to be miserable over here and he's supposed to be prospering over there and I'll just stay in famine. <laughs> Man, I really hope some people are listening to this video later. We see in chapter 47, you all still in chapter 47 with me? Chapter 47, verse 13, it says, there was no food in all the land because the famine was very severe. That's interesting because in the same chapter, one verse earlier in verse 12, it says, And Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food, even according to their little ones. Verse 13, now there was no food at all in the land, except for Israel. Because the famine was very severe, so the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for grain, which they had bought, and, Jason, and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. When the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, and all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food, for why should we die in your presence, for our money is gone? Then Joseph said, Give up your livestock. Don't think about this outside of anything other than Jesus, Right? Do you see the testing process that Jesus has even done with our lives? It was never the point. But he, as he said, Kaysen, will you give me all the money that you have to your name? Dylan, will you give me all the aspirations of your life, every means of making profitable income that you could possibly have? John, will you give me your whole life? And he tests the, even the Egyptians here. Joseph said, give up your livestock in verse 16, and I will give you food for your livestock since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses and the flocks and the herds and the donkeys. And he fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. When that year was ended, they came to him the next year and said, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent and the cattle are all my Lord's. There is nothing left for my Lord except our own bodies and our own land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? By us, by us, do this transactional thing with us and our land for food that we can just get by and not perish. And we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh, so give us seed that we may live and not die and that the land may not be desolate. This is the result of the famine. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every Egyptian, every Egyptian sold his field because the famine was so severe upon them, thus the land became Pharaoh's. 
As for the people, he, rem he removed them to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other. Genesis 47, 27. Look a few, six verses down. Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they acquired, acquired property there in it, and were fruitful and became very numerous. While the world is saying, Jesus, just buy me so that I can go another day of not feeling miserable. God's people, those of his brothers, are acquiring property while the world is selling out everything in them to just make it another day. Have you, are you finding out that your daily attitude in life sounds more like the Egyptians here than that of the sons of Israel and the brothers of Joseph? I was finding that this week. <laughs> There's no food in Egypt either. The promise of Goshen comes with land, homes, food, and livestock. That's not even your own. While everyone is sacrificing everything to live lives of insecurity. To live lives of insecurity. And even more so, the land has been called yours by association with the one who has authority to grant it. There's a mass sale of land in Exodus by those who trust in the world and make themselves slaves to this world. And there's also a mass estate sale in the book of Acts. There is a mass estate sale in Exodus for the world so that they might just make it another day. And in the book of Acts, there's a massive state sale of God's people because they can't imagine the idea that they would have been given anything by their father in heaven, by their deliverer, and not have it, and not have it partake in forwarding the, lo the work that's happening in their own community. They were like, I would rather give everything that I have, my land, my house, my cars, my money, my time, my energy, my everything, to see this freedom that I've been given multiplied upon the face of the earth around me than hold on to anything. Because what what's it worth? It's not going with me, but I might be able to get some of those souls with us on the way out. Romans 8. Y'all remember Romans 8 from Thursday? I'm going to get, it with, get you with it, too, because Pastor Mike's the one and I'm the two. Bam, bam. Romans 8, 16. Devin's the sneak attack, by the way. You won't even know when he's coming. He's just going to get you. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Whoa. Not slaves in Egypt. And of children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Our brother who went before us to prepare, prepare abundance for us in a land of Egypt called drawing near. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, not worthy to be mentioned. Not worthy to complain out loud about. Not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us, or in us, or through us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, though, but because of him who subjected it. And hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for, but if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we will eager we wait eagerly for it how often do we try to remain in canaan in that state of desolation ignoring the promises and ignoring the abundance that god's placed for us in goshen 
because we're so anxious to try to live all of it out right now. We're so anxious to be God's biggest, baddest dude in the land right now that we can't wait a couple generations to see the full manifestation of it. And we're in our last passage here. Turn back with us to Exodus chapter 10. When you get to Exodus chapter 10, look at verse 21. Gaining sight in Goshen. Y'all, we're going to have some vision here together as a church. And we're going to know what we're doing here, why God put us here, and what we're going to accomplish together. And it's, you're not going to have to rely on only pastors and elders to see it for you. You're going to be excited and you're going to run to the front lines to partake in the local work here because you are just as sold out for this as, any, as anybody else is. Exodus chapter 10, 21 through 29, gaining sight in Goshen. Then the Lord said to Moses, fast forward a few hundred years, stretch out your hand toward the sky that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. <laughs> so Moses stretched out his, land toward the, his hand toward the sky, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one, an one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. They had light in their dwellings. While everyone else around them was in darkness and suffering, they had light in their dwellings. <laughs> then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be detained. Even your little ones may go with you. The, the world tries to say, hey, since you're fighting for it so hard, I'll let your kids go with you, but you leave everything of value that you've grown in this place and everything of value that I've given you right where you, where you have it. <laughs> That's not how Moses or the Lord seems to agree. But Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice them to the Lord our God. Therefore, our livestock too shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For, what, for we shall take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And until we arrive there, we ourselves don't even know which one we will serve the Lord with. You can't have my money because it's not even my money. I'm not giving you my wealth. I'm not giving you my flocks. I'm not giving you a single hoof of anything I have because it's not even mine to give. Because it's all the Lord's and we don't even know when he's going to want it, how much he's going to want or anything, but it's all his. Therefore, our livestock shall go too with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind for we shall take them to serve the Lord. Verse 27, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Beware, do not see my face again. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, you're right. I will never see your face again. See ya. <laughs> Guys, stand up with me as we close this out. I'm glad y'all are laughing at the end of this because laughs of freedom and joy have been heard finally in my house as God is fixing my heart, giving me a new one. Listen to these things as we close out today. You are a people in a land called drawing near. Hated by your neighbors, but beloved by God. You are a people of great inheritance now and great inheritance in the generations and age to come. Not, we're not just getting heaven later. We're going to see this thing change lives right here, right now in this city. You are a people of abundance, even if you are considered the lowest in your local culture. You might be digging ditches the rest of your life. You might end up getting put on labor, putting in, putting in the things that you used to sell. But you are a, a, an abundant people. Amen. You are a people in times of darkness who are not lacking light in your own homes. <laughs> when everyone else is stumbling in darkness, they don't know the purpose of their lives. You do. And if you don't write this minute, you will soon. 
You are a people with vision, ready to follow with the navigation of your God and your God-appointed leaders. But you are no less a contributor, for you have been given sight by his light in an age where the world is stumbling in darkness. Will you be a people who wait to pour your lives into a land called Goshen because it doesn't look like the full manifestation of your promise? Are you trying to hold on to something? Because it's not worth holding on to. Everything you need is right here in Goshen. We're here for 400 years, church. <laughs> I don't know that, but well, maybe. 400 years, or until Jesus comes, whichever one comes first. To multiply and grow strong, but if you stay bitter from leaving what you thought was Canaan, you'll never gain sight in Goshen today. Go. Just like what Pharaoh, man, it was spoken through Pharaoh, and then it was also spoken through Joseph. Go, church, till your fields, shepherd your flocks, build your homes, and redeem the land. For our home is where his heart is. And he is with us here in this gym, in this city, and in each one of our homes. Go today and walk in the light of his presence and the vision he has revealed to this entire community of believers so that we may all together manifest the vision that he's revealed. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord God, we are thankful for the way that you went before us and prepared a land for us. That we didn't have to be stuck in our desolate famine anymore, God. That, Lord, we have the abundance of each other right here in this room. That you have given us family when we were orphans. That you gave us fathers when we were fatherless. You gave us brothers whenever we always just wanted to be a selfish, only child, God. And, Lord Jesus, you gave us a land and a land that we would all pour out ourselves to prosper on. So that none of us would prosper in and of ourselves. God, you have given us above and beyond everything we've ever asked for. And God, we thank you that you have been patient with us. God, I thank you that you've been patient with me. As I am trying to walk out, as we are trying to walk out, everything that you are instructing us to do, God. And sometimes it just doesn't look like what we thought it was. Sometimes it's just we're, the state that we're in, God, just doesn't quite look how we thought it would be. But God, we say today that we trust you. We trust you, Lord, and we thank you that you have placed us in a land called Drawing Near, Lord. We will move forward today. Remnant Church, we will move forward today into that land of Drawing Near, and we will plant, and we will water, and we will build homes, and we will see a land turned over, and we will even someday and generations later leave with souls of the Egyptians with us who will be called sons of God as well. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, and we pray all these things, speak all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.